Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. Hi, Daniel. Um, We are so glad you guys are here today, and for those who don't know me, I'm Carrie, and I'm one of the teachers here. Um, Just really excited to see all of you today. And we are finishing up today um, this series that we've been going through called God, Us, right? And each week we've been filling in a different um, word, a different preposition for God, something, us, right? God, above us, God, around us, God, for us. And today, if you couldn't tell from the music we sang, we're talking about God with us, um, which I have been excited to talk about for a long time, actually. So, um, so first of all, I just want to say, I think I have a little bit of something in common with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, you know, she had prophecy spoken over her. The angel came and told her about her baby before her son was born. And I don't know if you know this, but when you're pregnant, um, you get a lot of people who give a lot of, you know, advice, a lot of interesting things they want to say to you. And so I had a couple of prophets, if you will, who uh, tried to tell me things about my babies. So the first time I was pregnant, um, I was walking into a mall, and there was this guy walking out, and he sees me, and and he's like from a far away. And and I think at the time I was like maybe seven and a half months pregnant. So the guy's like, miss, miss, when's that baby coming? When's the baby due? And I was like, ah, you know, not for another like four weeks. And he's like, that baby's coming today oh, that baby's coming today. And thankfully, I was in a good mood because, you know, when you're pregnant, you could take, you could take just about anything as a fat joke. So that, was, uh, that could have been bad, but, uh, but he was wrong. The baby did not come that day, thankfully, in the middle of Macy's. That would have been sad. Um, but then with my, second, with my second child, I went to the Colchester McDonald's, and this young guy is at the cash register, and he looks at me, and he's like, do you know what you're having? I was like, no, we actually we didn't find out. And he's like, it's a boy. He's like, he's like, I am so confident that it's a boy that if, that if it's a girl, I will like literally buy all these things for your family. And I am like, maybe, maybe it would have been better if I did have a girl because then I could have gone and cashed in on all his, his promises. But, uh, but he was actually right. He was right. It was a boy, um, Luke. And so that was, that was an interesting prophecy, but he was correct. Um, but you know, these are the stories, and I don't know if you know this, but a lot of times we have these awkward stories, um, just in general, but especially when you're pregnant, there's just lots of awkward things that happen, and we don't get all those stories about Mary. We don't know if she went into the Nazareth Quick Mart and had people trying to, you know, touch her pregnant belly, and she's poking them off with a, you know, a baguette. Um, I don't know. We can only imagine, right? We get a little more of the backstory to Mary's birth, to Jesus' birth, rather. We don't get a lot of those little detail stories. Um, we, we hear about, you know, Mary getting a, the announcement from the angel and then her traveling with Joseph into Bethlehem. Um, but when it comes to the actual birth story, here's what we get. Luke 2, 6 through 7. It says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now, I don't know if you caught the birthing part in there, so I'm going I'm to reread this for you. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, comma, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Never has there been a more significant comma, maybe in all of history, right? Like, maybe it's sacrilegious, but I think this is what you get when a man writes the birth story, okay? <laughs> like, did they, even, did they just interview Joseph, and he was like, 
she went into labor, the, the baby's here. That's, I, that's all. Like, like, I don't know what happened there, but if you were to ask a woman, like women are going to ask all the details, right? Okay, how much did he weigh? How, you know, how long was the delivery? Where, how were the contractions rough? You know, did you, you know, what was, what was the, the birthing process like? Um, they're going to ask uncomfortable questions about like dilation and lactation and all the awkward Asians, right? Women, women are going to ask the uncomfortable things um, because they want to know. And I feel like maybe if a woman did write this story, it would have been a little different. But, um, but the truth is, if we think about this story, maybe what's hard for us is we don't want to look too closely at that comma sometimes. Maybe it's hard for us to really get into the gritty story of Jesus' birth. And I actually am reading a, um, an Advent book right now, and there's a poem in there that I think kind of fills in that comma with a little bit of, of holy imagination, if you will. So I'm going to read for you this poem that describes the birth of Jesus. It's called A Blessing for the New Baby by Lucy Shaw. Lightly as a falling star, immense, may you drop into the body of the pure young girl like a seed into its furrow, entering your narrow home under the shadow of Gabriel's feathers. May your flesh take shape within her, swelling her with shame and glory. May her belly grow round as a small planet, a bowl of golden fruit. When you suck in your first breath and your loud cries echo through the cave, blessings on you, little howler. May Mary adorn you with tears and caresses like ribbons, her face glowing, a moon among stars. At her breasts, may you drink the milk of mortality that transforms you even more into one of your own creatures. And now, as the night of the world folds you in, its brutal frost, the barnyard smells strong as sin. And as Joseph, weary and with unwelcome and relief, his hands bloody from your birth, spreads his thin cloak around you, we doubly bless you, baby, as you are acquainted for the first time with our grief. Does some of that poem make you uncomfortable? Because some of it was a little uncomfortable for me to read, to be honest. And again, I think that's because we're opening up this safe and ambiguous comma and we're entering into the fact that Jesus' birth was both beautiful and bloody. It was both holy and human. That baby who would be a king for all to see still had to enter the world in a way that would be considered maybe too intimate for public viewing. And the last line of that poem really sits with me, that in entering our world, Jesus breathes in his first breath and is acquainted for the first time with our grief. Forget the silent night. The baby Jesus is exposed to the harsh elements of the world for the first time, but certainly not the last. And we can only really imagine the kind of pain and, and grief or maybe uh, suffering that Jesus experienced, not only as a baby, but also as a child, um, I think of, of, of Jesus as a child who at some point knows you're the son of God and, and nobody else has that experience. Nobody else can you go to, um, to to rely on for that. And even his own mother, who, again, loved him and knew who he was, believed that he was the son of God. But, you know, that story when he's in the temple as a boy and he's, he's, in, the, he's in the temple talking to the, the religious leaders and his mom doesn't understand why he had to be doing that. She didn't fully understand the extent of, of what his mission was, what his purpose was. And did he walk in that? Did he walk in that, um, that aloneness and isolation? 
Here's what Isaiah tells us in the foreshadowing of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 3-4 says that Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And I, in leading up to this message, have asked God so many times, why? Like, why of all the ways that you could have saved the world, why did you choose to come into this mess? Why did you choose, you know, we, we sinned, we, we fell away from you, and the world became broken, but why did you come in, into this world when you never had to? I imagine there must have been some other way that God could have saved us. And I, I don't know the full answer. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I will say this. I believe that over and over in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a God, a father of compassion, who is faithful, abounding in love. Do you know what the root of compassion means? To suffer with. To suffer with. And for all the ways that Jesus' incarnation is a mystery, I think it has a lot to do with his desire, not just... Um, not just to witness the suffering of his people and not just to save his people from their suffering, but to first inhabit that suffering for himself. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11 tells us this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, um, first of all, this goes back to um, uh, Tom's first message, right, about God above us. Everything is for God because he's above us, right? And it goes to the second one about God around us, It's for him and it's through him that everything exists. And so through Jesus, the pioneer of their salvation is made perfect through what he suffered. Verse 11 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And get this, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus comes to earth to identify with us, to be with us in such a way that he says, I am one of you, and I call you gladly my brothers and my sisters. We're going to skip to verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. We could stop right there, right? Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Like that's just a powerful, mysterious thing that God did for us. But God says it's so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And verse 17 says, For this reason, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I think Paul gives us this um, understanding of what it really means that Jesus came into the flesh, why he came, why he became so fully human. Um, and there's a lot of kind of words in here that we can unpack a little bit. Um, when it says he became a merciful and high priest, um, the high priest was the kind of the person that went to God as a representative for the people in the Old Testament on behalf of the people. And so in this way, Jesus comes and he, he comes as a representative of humans because he is one. He's, he's one of us and yet he's holy and he's perfect. And he goes on behalf of us to make atonement for our sins. And atonement would have been like reparation and also um, reconciliation. So God, God makes this atonement and he reconciles us to God and he draws us to himself. 
And also we know that he was tempted just as we are, so he, can, he knows exactly what we're walking through. There's nothing that we go through that Jesus says, I, I can't understand that, because he's walked in our shoes. Hebrews 4.15 goes on to say, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so I want you to know right now that there's a mystery behind the incarnation and, while, and why Jesus came we can see the result of that incarnation is that he lived a perfect life despite temptation. He broke the power of the devil. He freed people from the fear of death. He became that merciful high priest. He made atonement for us between us and God. He helps us, those who are tempted because he suffered when he was tempted, and he can empathize with us in our weakness. And this is all because the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. Among is another preposition, by the way, but again, it's not the, not the one we're using today. God is with us. God is with us. And I don't want you to miss the power of this with. I don't want, to, I don't want you to miss the, the amazing fact that this is not just even a nearness or an aroundness, but God, God coming and, and identifying with us as siblings. I'm reading a book right now called Tattoos on the Heart by Father Gregory Boyle, and I'm going to be honest, this book keeps wrecking me. I highly recommend it, although I will give you a warning, it's got some language in it, um, because Father Boyle is actually a, um, a priest who goes and he started a ministry called Homeboy Ministries in L.A., and he basically is working with um, Latino and Latina gang members who, have, who are trying to get out of that way of life, and... Um, he, he offers, uh, they, they offer job training and they offer tattoo removal and other services for, for men and women who, to be honest, as you read the story, you find out um, how few choices they really have had in their lives and, and for how so many of them, gang life is just almost seems like the only, the only option they felt that they had. Um, and so in this story, he talks about this woman. He talks about so many people, um, but he talks about this woman, Soledad. And Soledad had four children and um, her, her oldest son, um, or maybe it was her second, but he, he got out of gang life and he went and actually joined the Marines and it was after 9-11, so he ended up being deployed to Afghanistan um, and he survived all that and he came home and then he happened to be out, um, I don't know if it was at the store or somewhere, but um, somebody from another gang asked him who he was, basically trying to figure out what gang are you in and they didn't like the answer he gave them and so they, they shot him, they killed him. And Soledad was heartbroken and she spent the next several months just racked with grief and she couldn't even get out of bed she barely you know took care of herself and just this went on and on and so then finally her oldest son said listen listen mom like i get it i love you and i know you're going through all this pain but you need to like remember that you've got three other kids and we need you and you've got to like live for yourself too so this son helps her to get up and get moving and to um you know just like go take a shower and take care of herself and she chooses to step out of that grief and unfortunately you think this story is taking a turn for the better and then right after this happens that same son um, who, who encouraged her to, you know, to live again, he gets killed. Tragically, by a, a drive-by shooting, again, not even related to him, but, it, um, but he is killed as well. And Soledad is wracked again by fresh grief, robbed of another child. Um, and years later, Soledad is admitted to the hospital for her own health issues. And while she's there, um, at one point she's in this, this hospital room and this boy comes in, this kid, and he's got gunshot wounds that are so bad that he, they, they don't even have time to close the curtain between her and him and they're just working on him. And at some point she realizes this kid is 
from the gang that almost assuredly killed both of her boys. And I'm going to be like Kathy. I'm probably going to lose it a little bit telling the story. But here's what she says. I'm going to quote from the book. She says, as I saw this kid, she tells me, I just kept thinking of what my friends might say if they were here with me. They'd say, pray that he dies. But she just looked at this tiny kid struggling to sidestep the fate of her sons as the doctors work and scream, we're losing him, we're losing him. And I began to cry as I have never cried before and started to pray the hardest I've ever prayed, please don't let him die. I don't want his mom to go through what I have. And that kid lived. And of course, I'm writing this story and I'm reading this book and my husband comes up and I'm like ugly crying and I'm like, I just have... I'm, and he's probably like, why did you tell this story? You're going to cry again. Um, I want you to think of Soledad praying for this boy as the way that Jesus prays on our behalf. Because Jesus could look at us sitting on the gurney next to him and he could, he could look at us an, as an enemy, right? He could, he could look at us as someone who is not listening, who's disobedient, who's, who's far from him. And yet Jesus says, just like this, this woman identifies, she identifies with the other mother and she says, no, because of what I've suffered, because of what I've been through, I don't want anyone else to have to go through that. And Jesus it takes it even one step further. He says, not only do I identify with someone's mother, I identify with that, with that kid right on the gurney. I identify with you and whatever mess and whatever sin and whatever brokenness you're in, and I see you, and I don't see you as an enemy. I see you as a brother. I see you as a sister. I've called you my own, and I'm praying on your behalf that you may live because I've walked among you. I think... Um, of many times that Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for, for us to be in him. But there's a powerful prayer when Jesus is on the cross in Luke 23, 33, and 34. Um, and it's about the time when he's crucified. And it says he was there, and they crucified him there along with criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if you don't believe that Jesus looks at you on that gurney and prays for you to have life, I want you to know that the very men who put him to death on the cross, he prayed to God on their behalf. God, let them live. I, I don't hold against them what they've done because I've walked in these human shoes and I know what it's like to be a human and to be tempted and to be confronted with, these, with the brokenness and, and the, the temptation of the enemy. And Jesus prays on his killer's behalf. That first breath Jesus sucked in, Lucy Shaw reminds us that that was the first breath Jesus had where he shared in our suffering. But to his very last breath, that's what Jesus did. He suffered with us, he suffered for us, and on our behalf. And Hebrews 7.25 reminds us that this is why he is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. God always lives. Jesus still lives to intercede on your behalf. And in fact, he gives us a spirit who prays on our behalf, who intercedes for us. And that is the power of God with us. Just as this woman lays praying in her own grief for the enemy of hers to live, Jesus prays on your behalf and he refuses to call you an enemy. Again, he calls you a son, a daughter, a, a brother and sister. Jesus places himself in this mess, in this earth, on the gurney next to us. And we've made so many mistakes and failures but he says, I've walked with you. I know how perilous life is. I've been tempted in every way. I still don't want bad things for you. I want life for you. And that's a beautiful reminder. And I want, us, I want you to think, if you're someone who's sitting here and you think maybe to yourself, like, no, I, I feel like I've gone too far. I feel like I've made too many mistakes. I feel like, um, I feel like my childhood is too screwed up. 
forget my childhood. My, my present is too screwed up and God could never fully love me. I want you to know that God looks at you exactly where you are right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do. And he says, I love you so much because I loved you enough to inhabit this world, to be with you. And I think what's even more powerful than that is God wants to go even a step further. He wants to come within us. That's actually what he prays in John 17, that we would be in God and that Christ would be within us. The God of the universe wants to dwell within you. We sometimes talk about this, this phrase, and maybe you've heard people say, oh, we ask Jesus to come into our heart. And I don't know, maybe that sounds a little cliche or strange, but what we're really saying there is that we're inviting God, we're inviting him to actually inhabit our lives in such a way that he is Lord of everything, in such a way that, that we begin to experience his power and his love in tangible ways working within us. And all we have to do is, just like Mary, when the angel visited her, all we have to do is just say yes. And to be honest, I don't even think Mary fully understood what she was saying yes to that first time the angel came. And I think the, true, the same is true of all of us. When we first say God, when, yes, sorry, when we first say yes to God, I think it's just that little bit of yes. We say, okay, God, this is what I understand of you. I know I've screwed up. I know I need help. I know, I know um, that you are, are greater than I am and that you've died for my sins. And I want, you to, I want you to be part of my life. I want you to be Lord. And we say yes, and God takes that little yes, just like Kathy talked about, that little offering, and then he grows that. It takes time, and God's going to walk with you, and he's going to keep growing you as you say each next yes. But all we have to do is say yes, and God comes to be in our lives. And I hope for some of you today that you would take him up on that invitation, because he radically wants to change your life in a good way. But, and this is a challenge to us who maybe have been walking with God for some time, I will say, say this, that that yes is always going to be another yes. There's always another yes behind the first. That yes, just as Jesus grew inside Mary, um, the Jesus, I believe, grows and matures inside of us in a way that we become more mature as we follow him. The incarnational Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so the same Jesus who stooped low from heaven to come and live among us, when he lives inside us, he's going to call us into incarnational living He's going to call us into incarnational justice. And that comes with a price tag because incarnational love is pretty messy. And so I hate to break it to you, but that means your life is sometimes going to be uncomfortable. If the incarnational Jesus is within you, he's going to call you out of your comfort and your privilege and security and your rights to enter into the mess of the world around you as embodied love and hope and peace. And it's going to be different for all of us. I remember uh, several weeks ago we were talking about the dominoes and we, we kind of say, okay, God, I know I'm one domino and there's somebody in front of me and somebody in front of the next person and I just need to ask who's in front of me and what's in my hands, right? What do you want me to do for the people around me? But God says, I don't just want you to serve. I don't just want you to give or love from over there, right? Like it's easy sometimes for us to say, okay, I'm going to give, give money to that thing over there and then I can just kind of like shake my hands off. But God's like, no, I'm going to invite you not just to give to the homeless, but maybe, maybe share a meal with the homeless, or maybe what's more uncomfortable is find someone who votes differently than you and have a meal with them, right? Like, do, like it's, it's, sometimes it's the silly things, but we're like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe that's what God's calling us into. Maybe it's, um, it's not just praying for the orphan and the widow, but inviting them into your home. Maybe it's saying when, when the ministry or that person or that, that um, family gets difficult and you don't know what to do and you, and you feel like you've given it everything and you just want to quit and God says no because my incarnational love sticks with it. 
It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up on people. Jesus didn't take the easy way out. He didn't skip ahead from, from being a baby right to the cross. No, he walked through this slow growth of humanity like all of us do. And he's calling us in whatever context you're in and whoever's been placed in your life to love, he wants you to love deeply and long. Love when it hurts and then love some more. And we only do that through him living in us. God says, I have borne your burden, and so I ask you to bear the burden of those around you. Choosing to say yes to Jesus is inviting him to fully take over your life in such a way that it is no longer you who live, but it is Christ in you. So the God above you remains Lord, but the Lord within you. And you surrender your life and your story and your will to him. And the God around you that you've always had access to suddenly becomes that God within you, who's leading you, who's guiding you, who's um, spurring you on, praying on your behalf. And the God who is for you suddenly is not just standing beside you, but he is, he is like with you, speaking life over you in the battle. In fact, I would say, you know, we talked about God being king. King Jesus became one of us. And if you watch any shows or battle stories or whatever, the kings that are most respected, the kings that, um, that inspire the most confidence and courage in their soldiers is the king that's going into the battle with the soldiers, right? And that's what God says. I'm for you in such a way that I am there with you in the battle. And I want to um, close out here with another uh, quote from Gregory Boyle from Tattoos on the Heart. Um, and I know I told Leanne this was my cue, but I'm changing the quote a little bit, so I am not so subtly letting Leanne know the cue has changed. <laughs> but in this, in this quote, here's what Gregory Boyle says. Um, Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with others. There's a world of difference in that. Jesus didn't seek the rights of lepers. He touched the leper even before he got around to curing him. He didn't champion the cause of the outcast. He was the outcast. He didn't fight for improved conditions for the prisoner. He simply said, I was in prison. The strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and those relegated to the margins. I believe God is calling us into those kinds of situations. He's calling us to incarnational living um, he's calling us to kinship. He's calling us to view the people around us, not just as people over there or, um, you know, the other, but as brothers and sisters that we walk alongside and we don't give up on. Now, I want to say this as we close out today. I know, I know that some of you are going through very difficult situations, and in fact, there may be some of you that are like, I just feel like I've gone through so much brokenness in my life, Carrie, that I I, it's hard for me to believe in a good God above me. It's hard for me to believe in a God who listens to prayers because I don't feel like God is answering. And I, I, I hate that for you. I, hate, I don't understand sometimes why there's abuse and there's pain and there's suffering. But I also believe in the God who is so wants to be with us so much that he will come with us in all of those moments. I don't believe there's any moment that you've gone through that Jesus has not been there with you. And so whether we're going through a painful divorce or dissolution of, of friendship or we're going through um, financial things or we're going through um, struggle, maybe it's, maybe it's financial or medical, God is with you in all of that. And he is never going to walk away. He will never leave you or abandon you. 
in the darkest moments of my life, even when I, looking back, maybe at the time I couldn't tell that God was near, but I can look back today and I can see, I can trace God's, the thread of his presence through my life, and it is beautiful. And that is what I long for you. I long for you to see a God who's not going to leave us alone because he breathed in the air of this world with us. He shared our grief. He submitted to the painful delivery in a controversial way in, in the womb of a teenage girl. Who, he suffered alongside us. He became perfect through what he suffered so that he might become the savior of the world within the world. Not just above, not just around, not just for, but within. Jesus Christ came into the world to be with us at the margins, in the mess of the stable in Bethlehem. And from the first to the last breath, he suffered with us, next to us, that he might become our savior. And this, this is the message of Christmas. This is the message of the whole Bible. For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God. God, um, I just want to pray right now um, that anyone who feels like they are so far gone from you, God, would have a sense today, right now, um, that you are sitting on that gurney next to, him, next to them and that you don't have an ounce of judgment for them because you've walked with them and you are praying life over them. And I pray life over each person in this room. I pray, God, that we would just recognize more and more um, the ways that you are truly with us and that we would truly allow you to be Lord within us, that we would not block you or hinder you or fight for our own way, but that we would surrender beautifully, as Kathy said, and give you what's in our hands, whatever that looks like today, even the smallest thing. And God, please continue to lead us out, even when it's hard into the darkness, to love beautifully this world around us in the mess and the pain. May we be light in the world as you were. Amen.